All right. Hey, everyone. Uh, greetings to uh, our West Campus and our Traditions venue, as well as our 15th Street Campus. Really glad all of you are here. Um, I, I wanted to just make a, a quick staffing announcement here, but I want to officially introduce Rocky Martinez as our new Director of Worship and Creative Arts. Uh, Rocky and his wife, Lenny, have just moved here from Arizona. Um, I love his heart, and I am so excited for him to be leading our church in this whole area of worship. And so I encourage you to introduce yourself, reach out, get to know these guys, welcome them to our church family. All right, today we are, yeah, that's awesome. So, so today we're continuing our teaching series on wholeheartedness, um, how to live in freedom from shame. And I've heard a few people just comment, boy, we're spending a lot of time on this shame thing. You know, what's up with that? Well, we usually in teaching series that we do, we kind of go from one specific topic to the next topic and the next topic, you know, kind of from week to week to week. But this series has been more of a soaking series, right? Looking at this issue from various angles, letting it soak in. And the reason for that is because shame is not something most of us have been aware of in our lives. It is not easy to see. But now I believe God is helping us see this. I mean, the number of positive comments I have heard about this particular teaching series tells me that God is using this series to take us deeper in this, in this issue, which is critically important because dealing with our shame is not a quick fix. It is not a Band-Aid thing. Shame is a heart issue. Shame is that inner critic inside of us that is always telling us or whispering to us, we're not enough, you're not thin enough, you're not smart enough, you're not hip enough, you're not young enough, you're not successful enough, and on and on and on. And as we've seen from the examples of Adam and Eve, as well as the example of Saul, shame is an incredibly destructive thing in our lives. So many of the sinful behaviors that we wrestle with, you know, jealousy or deception or anger or addiction or lust or greed, they're ultimately rooted in shame, which is rooted deeply in our hearts, which means that addressing the issue of shame in our lives requires us to engage deeply with our hearts. The heart is at the core of who we are. If you have an iPhone, um, the heart of that iPhone is not the apps and it's not the camera. It's, it's the heart of your iPhone is, is your iOS, right? It's the operating system on that phone. It's totally behind the scenes, but it enables your phone to do what it does. All the apps work because of your iOS. And from a biblical perspective, our heart is like our iOS. It is our internal operating system. What we do, what we feel, what we think, all of these things flow from our heart, from our iOS. And, and if our iOS gets infected with shame, it will impact every area of our lives. Okay, so in light of this, our journey of freedom requires us to stay connected to our hearts. And therein lies the challenge because it is not easy to stay connected to our hearts. It's not easy, especially in our culture. There are all sorts of things that subtly or not so subtly cause us or encourage us to disconnect from our heart. Busyness. Striving for success, the pain of our past, the regrets that we carry, the addictions we battle, all of these things tend to cause us to disconnect from our hearts. We become machines. 
We become robots just going through the motions of life without connecting to our iOS. Several, several uh, months ago, I came across a, a quote um, from a pastor in the 17th century who totally nailed this issue. He, he wrote this, there are some men and women who have lived 40 or 50 years in the world and have scarcely had one hour's discourse with their hearts all the while. Man, to the extent this was true in his day, it is even more true today. How many people today live, how many people live day after day, month after month, year after year, and never really being attentive to their hearts? Now, why is that a big deal? Well, again, if we're not attentive to our hearts, then we can't experience the transformation and healing and wholeness in our hearts. We won't experience freedom from our shame. I mean, if you have a, a physical heart problem, that problem will not be corrected by ignoring it, right? And the same thing is true spiritually. Wholeheartedness cannot be experienced by ignoring or disconnecting from our hearts. And so today, I want us to look at a passage of scripture um, where we see someone who is walking in wholeheartedness. Now, as we'll see, this doesn't mean that their life is happy and joyful all the time and rosy and all that. No, but it does mean that we're going to see a person who is connected to their hearts in a dynamic, life-changing way. So feel free to turn. If you have your Bible, you can turn or Bible app to Psalm 42. One of the things that I love about the Psalms, as we looked at, as we saw this summer, is the Psalms give us this vivid example of people who are living hearted lives. They're living hearted lives, people who are living out of their hearts rather than ignoring their hearts. And Psalm 42 is this classic picture of this. It really shows us how we can walk in wholeheartedness. So let me start by reading in verse 1 of Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. See, what we see here in the beginning of this person's prayer is a powerful picture of what I call heart attentiveness. Heart attentiveness. This person is very in tune with his heart, with what he's feeling, with what's going on in his inner world. I mean, look with me here. What are some of the emotions? What are some of the heart things that the psalmist is experiencing and expressing in this passage? Well, for one thing, he feels distance from God. Where can I go and meet with God? I'm parched. I'm like a deer who can't find any source of water. Where is God? And what else is he feeling? Well, he's feeling sadness. He's feeling grief. There's this sense of loss. He remembers these times in his past when God was close, when God was answering prayers left and right, but that's not the case anymore. And he's sad about that. He's grieving that. He says that his tears have been his food day and night. And then he acknowledges that people are saying, where is your God? And, and this guy, does, he doesn't have an answer. He feels confusion. He feels frustration, even anger at God. Now, now, here's what I want us to notice. This person is fully attentive to his own heart. He is fully in tune with his emotions, with what he is feeling. Right? right? Contrast that with what happens so often in church culture, 
and small groups and all that stuff. What, what so often happens, there's this underlying message that, you, that it's not okay for you to admit that you struggle with doubt or that you struggle with God feeling absent or, or you struggle with being angry at God right now. We're told that's unbelief. That's, that's, that's unspiritual. That's a lack of faith. That's a lack of maturity. So, so what happens in, in church culture sometimes is we just stuff our emotions. We don't, we don't want to admit to anyone else what we really feel, especially to God, right? We just keep praying these upbeat prayers, you know, and think we're, the, the prayers we're supposed to pray. But do you see what's happened? We, we've disconnected from our hearts. In a church context, still, we've disconnected from our hearts. But it's not just in Christian circles. This is often the lesson we learn from life. Poet Robert Bly um, suggests that from an early age, we put these parts of our heart into an invisible bag. So when our mom tells us to stop whining, we put that part of us in the invisible bag, this bag reserved for all the dark, unacceptable emotions within us. When dad yells at us for giggling at the dinner table, we put a bit of our whimsical innocence in the bag. When we wet the bed during a sleepover with a friend, a friend says, grow up, we put on our game face, toughen up, and put our feelings of weakness in this bag. When the popular girls at school tell us our face, our face is plain and needs more makeup, we put the hurt and rejection we feel into this bag. And over time, the weight of this bag just gets heavier and heavier. But we've learned to not open it. We've learned to not look at it. Rather than learning that our hearts are good, that our emotions are important and valuable, we learn the opposite. We learn to disconnect from our hearts, to stuff our emotions. Don't cry. Don't admit you're afraid. Just keep a straight face. Just keep going. Keep, keep performing. Just plow through it. That's the lesson we learn. And we think, here's the deal, we think that by doing so, we're demonstrating maturity and we're demonstrating strength, but we're not. It's actually diminishing our well-being. It's damaging our heart. An essential aspect of living with a whole heart is to practice heart attentiveness. It is to pay attention to the emotions that we're feeling. How attentive are you to your heart? How aware are you of what is going on inside of you? Now, I realize this is going to be this is going to be some new territory for some of us, especially us men. Um, we have learned, guys, we have learned to stuff our emotions for so long that we don't even know what it feels like to feel except anger, maybe. But other than that, we don't really know what it feels like to feel. Now, guys, please, you know, please hear me. I'm not talking about getting in touch with your feminine side. OK, uh, I am talking about manhood. I'm talking about real Manhood. David was a total stud, a warrior, a leader, a king, a man of strength. And he was also a man who was in tune with his heart. He, he was a man who lived out of a whole heart. His prayers, as recorded in many of the Psalms, regularly included his emotions, being honest with the Lord about his fear and his hatred and his insecurity and all of that. His heart attentiveness made him more of a man than Saul ever was. His heart attentiveness made him more of a man, not less of a man, more of a man. 
David was connected to his heart, and that's where God wants us as well. So men and women, God wants us to be attentive to our hearts, to not disconnect from our hearts, but be attentive. Now, one of the ways to begin growing in this, this idea of heart attentiveness, is to let the Lord ask us a question. And it's the same question that he actually asked Adam and Eve immediately after they had sinned in the Garden of Eden. God came to them. You remember what he asked them? He came to them and he asked, where are you? Where are you? That was not a geographical question. God didn't need to know. He hadn't lost them. It wasn't a geographical question. It was a heart question. Where are you? What's going on inside? See, that's the question he wants to ask us as well. Where are you? What are you feeling right now? See, now, now, there, there are obviously going to be times when, when, when your emotions come rushing to the surface because of something that you just experienced at work or in a relationship or whatever. And so those things just come flooding the surface. You immediately feel anger. You immediately feel frustration or grief. Man, pay attention to that. When those emotions come to the surface, pay attention. Don't stuff them. Be attentive to your own heart. But there are going to be a lot of other times when we need to stop and tune into our hearts. Because we're so used to not. We're just so used to staying busy. And so there are times we need to stop and we need to tune into our hearts and ask the same question, where am I right now? What is going on in my heart right now? What am I feeling right now? This is a great question to ask your kids. It's a great question to ask your spouse, as well as a great question to ask ourselves, where am I? What am I feeling right now? Rather than stuffing or, emo or ignoring your emotions, tune into them. Tune into them. Okay, so in addition to being aware of and attentive to his heart, the psalmist then does something else with his emotions. This is so fascinating. It is, and it's essential to wholehearted living. Look with me at verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? See, notice what the psalmist is doing. After describing for the first four verses all these emotions he's experiencing, he's very attentive to his heart, he then speaks to his soul. In fact, he actually asks his soul a question. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you feeling this way? This is not simply a rhetorical question. What we see here is that the psalmist intuitively practiced another aspect of walking in wholeheartedness, and that is what I would call heart curiosity. Heart curiosity. Not only is he attentive to what's going on in his heart, he is also curious about it. He is willing to explore these emotions further. This is so powerful, and it is so important because our negative emotions... They often function like a smoke detector. Our negative emotions function like a, a smoke detector. They detect something harmful going on and they start to beep, right? But often with our hearts, rather than looking for the source of the smoke, we just try to remove the battery so it stops beeping, right? Isn't that what we often do? And we end up missing what this emotion is actually pointing to. For instance, anger. Anger. This is one emotion, again, that us men, we get, we kind of get this emotion. We're really good at connecting with this emotion. We can tell when we feel angry. Okay, but what we often fail to realize is that anger is a secondary emotion. It, is all, it always points to something else 
going on in our hearts. It's a masking emotion. It's a secondary emotion. Always points to something else going on where the real smoke is, right? So let me just share a personal example of this dynamic that happened in the craft household uh, last weekend. Okay, we had the smoke alarm um, going off, this anger smoke alarm going off for both Raylene and me, okay? So for Raylene, my wife Raylene, her anger was totally justified um, and directed at me. See, I had said that I would help her paint our bedroom, um, and I helped a little bit. And then I ended up doing other things, including watching just a few minutes of a football game while she was painting. (laughs) Don't judge me, okay? Um, But uh, I know it was not good. It was not good. So she was justifiably angry. But, But she shared with me later that she realized that the anger she was feeling was being fueled not only by what I'd done. It was being fueled by something else in her heart, and that was shame. Because my uninvolvement in this project that was really important to her, what, what, it, hit this, it hit this tender nerve in her heart. It hit this place where she has learned, listened to a lie over the years that she's not important. And no one wants to be with her. And she's only valuable for what she produces. So that's a lie that she has wrestled with, right? And so it wasn't until church service last Sunday morning, during the prayer time, after the message... That God, we did that exercise last week if you were here, and God opened her eyes to see how her anger was being fueled by this place of hurt and shame. And God was able to speak to her in that place. Now, my smoke detector, my smoke detector was going off all weekend as well. And for, for one thing, I knew Raylene and I were not doing well because of what I had done. I knew that. I knew I'd messed up. So I was kind of just carrying that and frustrated about that. Plus, all my football teams last Saturday and Sunday lost. I mean, big, you know, it was K-State and UNC and the Broncos. So by Sunday mid-afternoon, I was in a pretty bad mood when we started watching the Rockies game that we had videotaped. So we we had videotaped this, so we sat down like at 4 o'clock. It started to. We sat sat down to watch it. And so as I'm watching the Brewers um, round the bases again um, and the Rockies exhibit zero offense in the fifth, by the fifth inning, I get this text from a friend of mine who lives in Wisconsin gloating about their victory. Um, And I was really mad. I was mad the Rockies season was over. I was mad that he had divulged this information to me before, you know, I had come to that conclusion. Um, And I sort of felt hatred for every Brewers fan and player. Um, It was just stirring in me. I, I was not in a good place and I knew it. I knew it. I honestly felt like drowning my sorrows in some Netflix binge or whatever, but I knew there was something going on here. This anger was rooted in something beyond sports. Um, So I began to process this with the Lord. I was like, God, why am I so angry? Um, And I realized there were several things going on in me. For one thing, I was feeling some anger towards Raylene, but only because I had messed up, but I was trying to justify myself. You know how we do that, you know? So that was going on and and not good. And then I also realized how easily my identity can get wrapped up in my sports team so that if they're not doing well, I'm not doing well, right? I hate losing because I hate looking like a failure. See, Asking these questions of our hearts is not the easiest route. It's not the, the easiest route to margarita, right? Or, or uh, uh, watching an episode of Friends for the 18th time or whatever. But, but for me to do that, that would be the easiest route. But for me to do that would mean ignoring a deeper issue in my heart. It would mean me disconnecting from my heart. 
Now, now you may be thinking, this sounds like psychobabble, you know, uh, you know but, but what's fascinating is in the story of Cain and Abel, in Genesis chapter 4, all the way back to the book of Genesis chapter 4, we see anger being experienced for the first time by a human being. Cain is angry, and notice how God responds to him. He asks Cain a question. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? From the beginning of our interaction with God as human beings, from the beginning, God has wanted us to tune into and be curious about our hearts. See, once we're aware of the emotions that we're experiencing, it is so important that we look at that more fully. What is this about? Yeah, okay, I'm attentive to it. I'm aware of it now. The question is, what is this about? Ask the Lord, why am I feeling anxious right now? Why am I feeling fearful right now? Why am I feeling discouraged right now? Or, or why do I suddenly feel, this, feel like getting drunk or looking at porn or whatever? What is going on beneath the surface in me? Well, what is this pull? What is this emotion revealing about my heart? Now, notice in this psalm, there is no condemnation here. This is so cool. There is no condemnation. He's not beating himself up for feeling his things. No, there, there is actually compassion. There is room to explore what our hearts are telling us. So my encouragement would be, be compassionately curious about your heart. Be compassionately curious about your heart. Ask questions, explore, discover what is really going on in the depth of your being. Instead of stuffing it or ignoring it or plowing through it, which we have learned to do so well, instead of doing that, be curious about your heart. God has given you your heart and your emotions for a reason. He's given you these things for a reason. And that reason is ultimately to point us to him. See, that this isn't about exploring our emotions for emotion's sake. It's not about that. That's not what I'm talking about. If we do that, if it's just all about the emotions, if we do that, we'll get fixated and stuck in our emotions. That's not what, that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what God is interested in, what, to get fixated and kind of stuck just focusing only on our emotions. So God wants our emotions to point to move us forward, to point our hearts toward him, which is what we see happening next in this psalm, what I refer to now as heart connectedness. So we go from heart attentiveness, I'm attentive, what am I, where am I, to heart curiosity, okay, why? Why am I experiencing this? Why am I feeling this? To then heart connectedness, which is what we see here. Verse five, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. I love this. Here's a guy who is experiencing discouragement. He's experiencing depression, but he's not stuffing those things. He's fully aware of them. And not only that, not only is he aware of them, he's also curious about them. He asks his heart questions. And then in response to those questions, he does something so significant. He looks to God as the answer to his longings and his discouragement and his fear. He tells his soul to put its hope in God. 
In this broken world, God alone is the one that we are to place our trust in. He is the, the, the only one we are to look to. So, for instance, in my previous example from last Sunday evening, I could have chosen to turn my heart to Jesus in my anger, like Raylene had done earlier in church. I could have done that. And I wish I could say that that's exactly what I did, but I didn't. You know, I, I felt this gentle pull to go spend some time alone with Jesus and just process all the stuff that was going on in me. I felt this gentle pull, but instead I just kind of chose to stuff my stuff and, and escape into some diversion. So why did I do that? Why did I do that? What my heart was most needing was not a diversion. My heart was needing to hear from God the truth about who I am in him. The Romans 8 ministry that we talked about last week, the spirit. I needed to hear the spirit whispering to my spirit that I am God's beloved son and that his love is what defines me, not how my football teams are doing. His love is what defines me. His love frees me. I need to be reminded that his love frees me to apologize to my wife and to move towards her rather than away from her, knowing that I had hurt her. See, imagine the impact in our lives if we increasingly tuned in to our hearts and we let them point us to what our hearts ultimately long for. Imagine the impact of that. So a few years ago, I watched the movie Inside Out, um, which is a Pixar movie, animated movie. And I admit, I usually fall asleep in animated movies um, and be somewhere in the middle of them because um, there just isn't enough action or whatever. But in, when I saw Inside Out, I was, I was amazed, really, at the depth and the meaning of this movie. So it's about a girl, 11-year-old girl named Riley, who, whose family moves from a, a small, just a, a, a small community in Minnesota to San Francisco. She's 11 years old, and up to that point in her life, everything was great and filled with joy. But now, in this new location, in this new place, it's not good. She misses her old friend. She misses her hockey team and all these things. So the movie, in a very creative way, shows this interplay inside of Riley. It shows this interplay between the emotions that are going on inside of her. The most significant interplay in the movie is between joy and sadness, so when Riley's family makes this move, sadness wants to be recognized, right? But joy keeps shutting her down. Joy keeps trying to, to keep everything in control. Don't think positive and all that. You know, sadness wants to bring to mind these memories that would stir some sadness in Riley's heart. But joy wants to erase those painful memories, creating these imaginary boyfriends to try and cheer Riley up. But it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so at one point in the movie, Riley actually gets on a bus to run away from home. And suddenly, Joy realizes she needs to let sadness take the controls. So let's watch this scene. Joy, you gotta fix this. Get up there. Sadness, it's up to you. Me? Sadness? Sadness? I can't, Joy. Yes, you can. Riley needs you.
we will. Her teacher hasn't even seen Riley all day. What? What was she wearing last year? Do you even remember what... Riley! Oh, we were worried sick. Where have you been? It's so late.
so I, lo- I love that scene. It is such a beautiful picture of the wholeness of heart that God invites us into. Because when, when we stuff our emotions, when, when we disconnect from our hearts, for whatever reason, but when we disconnect from our hearts, we end up like Riley, running away from things or distancing ourselves from loving relationships, you know, trying to keep a positive attitude, but it doesn't work. It's not really us. It's not authentic. It's not real. It's like a part of us gets locked away. So, so we're no longer fully us. We take a part of our heart and we just lock it away. So we're no longer fully us. And we're no longer able to experience intimacy with God because we're pretending we've got our walls up. But when we tune into our hearts, when we allow ourselves to feel and to honestly explore the emotions that we're experiencing and why we're experiencing these things, suddenly a door is opened for us to experience the embrace of Jesus. I mean, Riley thought her parents would be angry or disappointed that she was sad, but it was, it was the opposite of that. God doesn't want our faking it. He wants our hearts, our whole hearts, the good, the bad, the ugly. Because when he has our whole hearts, he has everything he needs to bring healing and transformation. Let's pray. So I'd like to lead us in a time of prayer where we connect with our hearts in the way that we've just been talking about. So Jesus, we ask you to bring our hearts and our minds to rest right now. So I'm encouraging all of you, this isn't about the person next to you, this is just you and the Lord. Be present to your own heart right now. Be present to your own heart. Where are you? Where is your heart right now? What is it you are feeling? It could be joy, it could be fear, it could be anger, it could be sadness, but tune into that. What what are you feeling? So now, as we're kind of attentive to our hearts, second question then, just to our encouragement, be compassionately curious. So Jesus, would you show each one of us why we're feeling this way? Is there something at the root of this that you want us to look at?
So now, can you turn to Jesus right now? Can you turn to him with that emotion or that longing, whatever he is speaking to you about? Can you, can you turn to him and can you just offer that to him? So Jesus, now that we've acknowledged this, what's beneath the surface of this, what's going on here, would, what do you want to give each one of us in that place? What do you want to give to us? Receive whatever he has for you. Put your trust, your hope in him to meet that longing. God, thank you for our hearts. And we acknowledge so often the pace of our lives and just the way we've kind of learned through various experiences, we've kind of learned to disconnect from our hearts, but we don't want to disconnect from our hearts. And so I pray that you would help us walk in this wholeheartedness where we are attentive to our hearts and we're curious about our hearts and we let our hearts look to you and connect to you in that place. And that you would do amazing things. You would do amazing things in us as a result of this, Lord, this journey that we're on. Now I wanna encourage you, you can just kinda of continue in that place of just being with the Lord. But there may be some of you here, I wanna just extend a, an opportunity for you. Because the, uh, this relationship with God, it is a relationship that is rooted in Christ in the work of Christ on the cross for us. And there may be some of you here and you're like, I don't know for sure if I have a relationship with God through Christ. It's not about trying hard. It's not about being a good person. It's, it's about admitting your need and placing your trust in Jesus. And so I want to encourage you, if you've never prayed to receive Christ, I want to lead you in a prayer where you can do that right now and begin this amazing relationship with him. So pray along with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I acknowledge that you are holy and I'm not, I'm a sinner and I'm separated from you because of that. But I don't want to be separated from you. I believe that you sent your son Jesus so that we could be reconciled and Jesus, you died on the cross for my sin. You died in my place. You took the penalty I should have paid. Thank you for doing that. And I choose right now to place my trust in you. I turn from my sin. I turn from my self-centeredness and I turn 
to you. I bring you all of my failures and my fears and doubts and questions and sins. I just bring all of that to you. And in exchange for that, I receive your forgiveness and your life. So Holy Spirit, come live in me, changing me from the inside out through the power of your love. So God, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. The, the, the Bible says when we do that, we get a new heart. It's like Jesus gives you a new heart. And so I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Help them grow in this wholehearted relationship with you. And I pray that for all of us to grow in this. So we have the opportunity um, to respond to this message and to the Lord um, by spending some time worshiping him and also by partaking of the Lord's Supper, which is a wonderful response to have because Jesus is what we ultimately long for. And so in just a moment, the worship team is going to lead us in, in some songs. And at any point, you can go to um, one of the tables near you and take a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. The bread represents Jesus' body. The juice represents his blood. You can dip it in there, and then you can partake there or take it back to your seat. And in doing so, I want to encourage us just to let our hearts be focused on this amazing Savior that Jesus is who loves us so much that he gave his life for us. So why don't, we, why don't we stand and let me kind of pray for us as we prepare our hearts. God, thank you for these minutes we have here to respond to your word. Whether it's through singing, the Lord's Supper, giving prayer, whatever it happens to be, we want to respond to you because you're worthy of that. And we thank you for this table where we celebrate and we remember your death on the cross for us and the life that is ours because of that. And so we celebrate you. We love you. You are our heart's longing. So set us free now to respond to you, to worship you, we pray.